We are the tide from the north. We're brave and we're bold. Defeating all rivals never gets old. Making our way to the Big Sky Conference. Watch out, cause here comes the silver and gold. the club for the vandals of idaho welcome back tribe from the north brave and bold to the official unofficial podcast of your idaho vandals and the vandals affiliate on the big sky podcast network i'm your host brian marceau joined today by fellow co-host and fan of the super bowl champion los angeles rams dallas hammer um, but before we get to the vandal stuff dallas you, uh, you are famous or infamous in our fandom for being the uh, fatalistic one or the less optimistic one, we might say. Yep. You got to walk us through. Your team wins the Super Bowl. How's it, how, how's it going in the Hammer household? Oh, man. There were so many tears in the Hammer household. Uh, I think some of you have probably seen a video I tweeted, just like a 30-some second reaction video. I had told my wife, Going into every game uh, since the Buccaneers game, she was allowed to film me. She could post it, however, like whatever it was, uh, and I, I would just forget about it by the end of the game. So uh, that that reaction was absolutely 100% real. Uh, it's a grown, balding, chubby, fat, old dude just sobbing in his Cooper Cup jersey. Uh, so I did not uh, did not feel good the second that Odell Beckham tore his ACL. I became super negative i sat there watching three and out after three and out and three and out and thought here we go this this is just another repeat of uh, of the super bowl from four years ago but uh i i'm still in shock it still hasn't quite hit me yet like i have had these demons since february 3rd 2002 i tweeted that specific date that was when tom brady held on to that damn football and vinatieri made that damn kick and ruined the greatest show on turf which is what got me into football in the first place so this was like uh nine-year-old dallas just sobbing out everything that had ever hurt him 20 years ago uh still haven't quite gotten into the uh the realization of oh hey the the rams just won the super bowl it's uh it, it honestly like i even right now I'm, I'm struggling to find the way to put it like i i i I kind of blacked out there that whole time. And then I woke up the next morning still inebriated from all of the substances I took after the game. So it's been a good couple of days. If you want to see the full three-minute version of the hashtag only tubs hammer cam, as we're calling it from now on, make sure to join our Patreon, patreon.com backslash tubs the club and running the show from the background, from the shadows, have the hell you want to say it. Producer Martin Hot Take Heemstra holding it down in Moscow like he always does. He's got some Sailor Jerry's just off camera. Martin, how's it going? I'm doing good. It's a little disappointing to have like your conference foe win the Super Bowl, but congratulations, LA, and I'm having a good time. Yeah, full disclosure, I was rooting for Cincinnati. Uh, but I weirdly, we're going to transition to where I all of my football attention really lies, which is Big Sky Conference and Idaho first. We have some news. Idaho football news. We're going to launch right into it around the bar brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. And look at as subtext, we've talked here and all Vandal fans know with uh, the Jason Eck reset going on. If things go well, we're going to expect to see some position coaches rotate into and out of the program. And when that happens, 
that is typically good news. Like with Eastern Washington, Montana State, man, th- those schools cycle through offensive and defensive coordinators pretty damn quick. Eastern right now, when the foot the 2022 season kicks off in August, they will have their third offensive coordinator since the start of the 2021 season. But that coaching change, the, the coaching changes we have kind of want to make sure fans are aware of, those are weirdly happening already, and we haven't played a single game. University of Idaho has a new offensive line coach. Gone is Joe Tripati from Temple. That was a guy we talked about a while ago. And in after, I don't know, a month or so uh, of the Joe Tripati reign, we have Cody Booth, who is coming to Idaho from Colorado State. He's on the younger side. He's got NFL background, um, graduate assistant background his uh, his nfl and his college background is actually pretty interesting relative to, to this position that he's taken which is offensive line coach but dallas your first off tell us a little bit about cody booth and what's your do you have much reaction to the coaching change of offensive line coach initially joe trapati who's now offensive line coach at university of wyoming a position opened there because Derek Frazier, offensive line coach for Wyoming, now coaches. He's an assistant coach for the Cincinnati Bengals. But we've got a new guy. That's what we care about. Cody Booth is coming to Moscow. What's your take? So the first take I have is one of hilarity because you had to explain to everybody what it means when your coaching staff gets hired elsewhere and leaves like before they all get fired because that hasn't happened here in a really long time. So I appreciate you having to explain it to all of us that don't remember what it was like having coaches poached for better jobs. Uh, the first reaction is this is fantastic. Uh, Joe Tripodi just replacing uh, Derek Frazier at Wyoming, who just left to go to the Cincinnati Bengals, who obviously got destroyed by the Rams pass rush on Sunday. So a if that guy was good enough to go coach in the NFL, the fact that they chose Tripodi to replace him means that Eck is doing something right with this staff, that we're already losing guys before the season even starts. Uh, as for Cody Booth himself, uh, he actually started off as a walk-on at Temple, walked on as an offensive, uh, excuse me, as a tight end, played tight end for three years. That's why he was actually coaching tight ends for Colorado State, uh, converted over to the offensive line as a senior. And then it actually, I mean, it worked out really well for him. He played, uh, he didn't actually get into any regular season games in the NFL. But he did spend time in three camps, spent an entire year on the Jacksonville Jaguars practice squad. So pretty good experience for a guy that was a walk-on at a completely different position. Uh, and then obviously has been uh, coaching ever since then. He actually coached uh, as a grad assistant for Steve Adazio at Boston College before Adazio and most of his staff moved to Colorado State. And now uh, I'm not sure if Booth just didn't have another uh, have another year with Adazio. They were going to move their own ways. I don't remember if, uh, or I, we don't know if that's what it was. We don't know if he decided, hey, you know, coaching the offensive line is actually what I want to do. That's what I did in the NFL. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled about it. Uh, I would imagine uh, Eck has done his due diligence and has hired another guy that's going to be really good at this. Uh, I just, we don't have a whole lot to go off of, but what we do have to go off of is the guy that was initially hired just took over for a guy that went to the NFL. So. I, I couldn't be more happy about this. It's definitely not a bad thing losing your coach to a considerably better job. I mean, no, no shots at the Idaho program here. 
coaching offensive line at Wyoming is a considerably better job and considerably higher paying job than coaching offensive line at Idaho. So props to him. Uh, excited to see what Cody Booth is going to do. So to add to what you said, I can explain why Cody Booth is not hanging around Steve Adazio in Fort Collins, Colorado. It's because Steve Adazio is not hanging around Fort Collins, Colorado anymore because he was fired. I forgot about that. Thank this you. Last season, Adazio is now um, he's at Texas Texas A and M. Yeah, Texas A and M is an offensive line coach. So Cody Booth is now an offensive line coach for us. Um, a couple things that I want to react to just off his background. I do think now he's one of the younger guys on our staff. Uh, he's you know closer to Matt Linehan. But we have a broadly compared to our last staff, this is a younger staff. Uh, so this kind of fits in, you know, he's probably the second least experienced guy, but one offensive line coach. I'm really not that worried about offensive line coach turnover because Jason X background is offensive line. And similar to look, university of Montana, Bobby Houck, their head coach, his background is special teams. Montana's just not going to suck at special teams. Same with Jay Hill. doesn't matter really what their turnover is. I expect Aaron Best, off, former offensive line coach, he's head coach Eastern Washington. Eastern's offensive line continues to be pretty sound as they have position coach turnover. So I I think we're going to be fine, honestly, regardless of who we have there, because I expect it. Jason Eck, uh, reputationally, offensive line was great at South Dakota State. I just don't think uh, Jason Eck's teams as head coach are going to struggle offensive line once he gets to recruit his guys and bring them in. But as far as... You know, as far as his background, um, I found it pretty interesting that he, look, he was a tight ends coach at Colorado State before he came over here, which was his original position in college. But then he played um, offensive line his last season at Temple, then played, hung around three years in the NFL as an offensive line coach, but different from a guy we bagged on last week, Max McCaffrey, who had NFL kind of experience. Cody Booth has been trying to work himself up to the coaching ranks and, you know, he goes from GA to positional coach to different positional coach group. I don't have much else to add other than glad to have him on board. Uh, we're not devastated that Tripati has a good job for him elsewhere. And you know what, if the Eck experiment works out, which we feel pretty good about right now, we have reason to feel pretty good about. This is just something our fan base is going to get used to that positional coaches who everyone's ecstatic about right now, all the positional coaches, in addition to Jason Eck, they're doing all the right things in terms of reaching out to the fan base, which means, look, we're going to get probably emotionally attached to some guys the way we did in the last coaching group, but they're going to leave at some point if things work out. That's what happened with Chapati. Welcome aboard, Cody Booth. I want to transition. I have one last thing about Cody Booth. If you, if anybody's listening to this and is curious of like, hey, I'm going to Google him and see you know, see if I recognize him. He played a little bit in the NFL. Be very careful about Googling the name Cody Booth. He is not the first Cody Booth that comes up on Google Images. He is the first Google search and maybe the second. But after that, you get into a guy who killed his grandfather and his mother and has the worst facial tattoos I've ever seen. And at first, I thought that they were the same guy and it kind of threw me off. But I'm also an idiot. So just take that with a grain of salt. Be very careful when you Google Cody Booth. That PSA is courtesy of former producer Dallas Hammer. So, yes, you're, you're to confirm to our listeners, this Cody Booth is not a convicted murderer. Thank you. We're we're all clear now. Uh, Going to transition over. Look, big, the Big Sky released a couple weeks ago. We just didn't talk about last week. 
attendance figures for the 2021 season, which I have purposefully not shared with Dallas and Hot Take Heemstra. You better jump on this live stream because you're involved in this now too. Thank you, Hot Take. I kind of want to turn this into a bit of a game because Big Sky attendance figures, when I look through them, I think they're pretty interesting. Now for Idaho fans, we we know that our number is going to be lower than we than we're used to, but we also know the number from last year isn't necessarily generalizable into this season because it's just a new coaching staff. It's a new energy around the program, but we have to know where we're going to start. So I have a couple categories and listeners, you can play along if you want to just pick a team in your head. I have a couple categories. I have questions for that. I'm going to ask hot take Heemstra and Dallas for their takes. And the very first question I have, which is going to be on brand before we get to Idaho football attendance I want to hear Dallas, then Martin. One, who do you think had the worst attendance in the league? And two, what was that number around? And I'm going to go with Dallas first. Worst attendance in the league, what number? Oh, man, you're killing me here. Uh, I'm going to go with... I'm going to go with Portland State, and I'm going to go with 1950. Hot take. Who's the worst? What was our number? I'm going to guess Southern Utah and go about. I Hold on. I got I to gotta tell you, Martin, I did not include Southern Utah in my research because okay. we're done with Damn. that. That would uh, not have been an awful guess. It would not have been correct. Yeah. So here's your moment. I'll go, I'll go Idaho State. ISU, what's that number? I'll go 2100. And you're at 21. Okay, next question before we before we reveal these two numbers. Where where was Idaho attendance wise, Dallas? Rank and number. I'm gonna guess Idaho was eighth in attendance, and I'm gonna guess are we guessing reported or actual? Whatever. The numbers listed appear to be actual. Based on uh average 3100 for idaho martin idaho where are they what was their number i'll say for rank i'll probably go seventh and i'll say about five thousand okay before i get to these numbers we'll get some more questions we have some listeners thrown in and cap dan 58 predicted lowest lowest attendance would be Cal Poly at 4,399. Nick Weber predicted Idaho would be number nine in attendance at 3,800. So first, worst team, drum roll, we don't have real drum roll, Portland State clocked in at number 12. Martin was not far off. We'll get to Idaho State in a minute. Portland State number 12. 3,329 was their average average attendance figure. Idaho, which we can talk, we'll talk about Idaho for a second after we publish the number. Then we'll get back to the rest of the list because I think it's worth it to see where we are compared to the rest of the big sky. Idaho clocks in at number 10. So Nick Weber is the closest out of our three. Nick Weber gets nine. Jesus. Dallas number said eight. Martin said seven. Idaho's average attendance, 4,878. 
which now we just know off the top of our head math, that NAU game where they didn't publish the attendance figures, that I think was the anchor that kept us below 5,000. But Dallas, while you're here, comparing seeing that Portland State was the bottom at 3,300, Idaho is number 10 at 4,800. What's your response? We know things will be different next year because it's a new coach, but hey, this is where we're at. Uh, this is about to get real profane here, so if you have sensitive ears, click forward 15 seconds. Thank fucking Christ Paul Petrino is gone. That's all I have to say about that number. That is, I know the FBS to FCS thing has caused a portion of the fan base to leave, but honestly, when you have a guy that's about as charismatic as a doorknob running a team that doesn't win, what else are you going to do? So that number is disgustingly awful, and I think that that is going to exponentially increase as the years go by. Martin, you want to co-sign that? Yes, I do. That's a hot take. That, that is why Martin was brought in for hot takes. Uh, Nick I mean, Weber thrown in from the comment section. Idaho be top five in 2022. We're going to get to what top five would have meant this season. It's surprising Portland State not top five. But next question that I have for both, both Dallas Martin and then listeners as they're interested Look, we know, like brain dead thing, Montana is going to be number one. Their their attendance figure is twenty four thousand five hundred eighty four as average, best, second best in the nation, best in the in the Big Sky Conference. We all know Montana State's going to be number two. They were at nineteen thousand one hundred seventy six as their average, good for number four in the nation. Question I have for our listeners, Dallas and Martin, who was number three in the Big Sky? And what was their attendance average? Dallas, your first yet. Oh, man, that's tough. Uh, I almost want to say Sacramento State because I know that they have a, a large student base, but I, I don't think they have the support. I'm going to go with UC Davis. I feel like that's an off-the-wall enough pick that that might be it. I'm going to go UC Davis. UC Davis, how many? Oh, God. Um... What did you say Montana State's was? 19,176. I'm going to go UC Davis, and I'm going to say about 10K. Okay, about 10K. Martin, who's number three? What are they at? I'll... Oh, gosh. You're not great at this, man. Just take a guess. Take a number. I'll say Weber State, eight and a half. Martin goes Weber State eight and a half. Nick Weber in the comment section says Weber at twelve thousand. Dallas is pretty dang close to right. And now we're going to touch on Weber in a minute because I think it's going to be a surprising number. Uh, UC Davis is number three at ten thousand four hundred twenty-two. The I'm going to ask two more questions, then just go through the rest of the figures because I want to ask everyone who they think the most bullshit attendance stat came from, and there are there are some let's just say questionable accounting practices going on at some surprisingly uh, prestigious schools too. So next question is who was the, who do you think was the Mendoza line of the median team attendance wise? I'm counting, counting Southern Utah in here because that gives us 13 teams. So I can just tell you who number seven was as the Mendoza line, but dead center of the mm-hmm. conference, what school, what was that attendance figure Dallas? I'm going to go with Eastern, and I'm going to say 6,000. And Martin, who is uh, who's the Mendoza line? 
I'll say NAU 7,000. I'm going to bring up Nick Weber again because he he guessed the right team with his last uh, his last answer. Rakitic jumped in, said Eastern Washington's the Mendoza line, capped down 50 aces, NAU's the Mendoza line. The Mendoza line in the conference last season, the median, dead center. Weber State, 6,404 was their attendance number, which the reason I want to transition a couple numbers real quick, number eight, and I'm just going to run through the list now to give everyone else the, the numbers. Number one, I already said Montana, 24,000 and change. Number two, Montana State, 19,000 and change. Number three, UC Davis, 10,000 and change. This is where it gets surprising, and we'll close out the list. Number four, Cal Poly, 7,952 at number four. Number five, NAU at 7,620. Number six, Sacramento State at 7,615. Already touched on Weaver at seven, 6,404, which means Eastern made the playoffs, had FCS Player of the Year. They were number eight in the conference in attendance at 5,725. Northern Colorado beats Idaho at number nine with 5,168. Idaho, 4,878 at 10. Number 11, Idaho State. 3,674. We already touched on last place was Portland State, 3,329. So I ran through those numbers. I'm not going to re- repeat them. Off the top of your head, Dallas, what number sounded like the most bullshit and why? Uh, NAU at anything more than 200 is what seemed like bullshit to me. Uh, I it, Had you put a gun to my head and told me to name the five schools with the highest attendance, NAU would not have made that list, and you would have had to just put one right between my eyes. There's no way I ever would have guessed that. Uh, Martin, who who is the most bullshit attendance figure you saw? Cal Poly. Cal Poly at number four, 7,952. I'm going to add myself in here, and I got to say, Martin, I'm kind of pissed that you just stole mine because I was going to say Cal Poly. They were awful. There's no way that they had 7,952. But the other team I'm going to throw in there, is just below them, number six, Sacramento State. Unless every single person sits on the side of the field that the broadcast camera is, Sacramento State, we, we talked about multiple times on the show about how Sacramento State, is. it was cool that they've turned around as quickly as they have. It's nice that Sacramento State is in the doormat. Troy Taylor is a guy that anyone would love as their head coach, but it, it was devastating that they could win the league twice in a row and no one showed up their games. There is no way that they're averaging 7,615. I mean, they have 30 some thousand students. Maybe the students all stand behind the cameras and are hidden. Maybe I it, entirely possible. Dude, from the comment thread, we're going to throw in some numbers. Uh, Nick Weber agreed. Most bullshit stat. He agreed with Dallas that, that it's NAU cap Dan 58. Also uh, he, he agreed with hot take that uh, Cal Poly, no way th- no way Cal Poly is number four attendance-wise in conference. I mean, I just have to point out Cap Dan's comment. Who gets 7,000 to watch a one-win team? As you, When you put it that way, like, yeah, okay, Cal Poly might might edge out NAU in the battle of, I don't know, most depressing schools. The I want to talk for a couple minutes about some anomalies in Dallas, or what I think of as anomalies, as like we, we have to be able to explain it. Everyone here already knows the Idaho situation last season was depressing as hell. People are bailing on Petrino. It's a new day, and we're going to build from there. Eastern Washington at 5,725. Dallas, as you understand, 
how the hell was Eastern that low? Like they, we know that sure there's pandemic stuff that, it, that might impact Eastern, just like there's pandemic stuff that might impact a lot of places, but Eastern had a good football team that a fun football team and their stadium's only 8,000 and they were around like 60% capacity. What the hell? Um, I mean, it's a couple factors that they can't do a whole lot about. Uh, the first one being that stadium is just, it's awful. Like, uh, Patrick's not here, but it's awful. And he's talked many times about how expensive the tickets are, which is ridiculous because it's an awful. I mean, that, that stadium, there are, there are plenty of high school stadiums in Spokane that are on par with this. And the the bleachers are better than whatever you call the seats at Roos Field. But I got uh, I got to push back on that point real quick. Okay. You are correct that half of the feet, half of the seats at Roos Field in Cheney are terrible, shitty high school level. But the grandstand side and behind one of the end zones, they're like they're fine, they're nice. And at five thousand seven hundred twenty-five, they clearly were not filling the good side of the stadium. I, up. See, I even think the grandstands suck. The grandstands are not comfortable at all. I've sat over there in one game and, you know, sure, it was the game that Idaho trailed 35-0 at halftime. So, well, maybe I should clarify. I should. <laughs> I was there for the blowout a couple years ago, not for last year's blowout. Um, the grandstands are not, I mean, not the seats are particularly comfortable, but it's it's not a good experience. Um, the other part of that is it's in Cheney, uh, and it, it sucks to watch a game in Cheney, man. Cheney blows like there's no other way to say it because it's just windy. It's so cold and it's just bitter out there. There's there's something to be said for having cold football in in, in November and December and this great like I mean that's that's what I think of football. But in Cheney, you're just getting whiplash from the the wind just at all times. It just comes right down across that field and through the stands. It sucks. Uh, I've been I've been to Roos Field probably more than anybody that listens to this podcast. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it was everybody that listens to this podcast combined, minus maybe Patrick. It's not a it's not a pleasant experience. Uh, I watched most of Cooper Cup's college career there on the sidelines with the camera, and it it sucks. You're like wearing gloves to hold the the camera because it's the wind is just biting you for four hours, and so I think that has a little bit to do with it. The team is obviously a blast. There's not a obviously not a great fan base there, but it is a it is not a fun experience out there. The red field is one thing, but it, I don't think the red field turns anyone away. I, I think the red field actually brings people in. But the, the reason why I also think of Eastern as an anomaly is they hosted Montana sellout. They hosted Montana State pretty dang near a sellout, and their average was still five thousand seven hundred twenty five, which means real bad attendance for homecoming against where they hosted Weber state and also when they beat us by 6,000, but that's a pretty cool. That's a really good slate of home games for Eastern to have in big sky play Idaho, Weber state, Montana, Montana state, like our fan base would kill for instead of, you know, having Eastern Montana, Montana state Weber as our home slate. And that's what Eastern got. Last thing I want to shift back to Idaho Do you think, I mean, I don't even know where exactly how to go with this. I think right now that the administration and the coaches, uh, and I say administration because the, though we see the coaching staff do a lot of stuff on social media, they're getting, there's help within the athletic department to make this work. They clearly have structure and a plan. 
Are we doing? Are, do you think they're doing enough right now, Dallas, for building off of four thousand eight hundred seventy-eight? And I I'm think they're factoring doing... in factoring into that they have the kind of rough situation that we can't do the spring game in Moscow. So the spring game is not going to be televised either. So we can't use Moscow as an organizing place for the spring game. So keeping that in mind, are we doing enough? Are you happy with where we at? Or is your reaction more like Jesus Christ? I just didn't realize we were this low. Uh, that's about where I thought it was. Honestly, I've had season tickets since the drop down to FCS. Uh, and the reason I don't, I don't think I mean, there's definitely people that say the move to FCS is what, what killed the fan base. I understand there are, there are a large, there's a large portion of the fan base that is not happy about the FCS move. And it's going to take a long time for them to get to the point of being like, Hey, like this is, this is where Idaho is now. There's no change in that, at least not in the near term. But I was there in that, that first season back and that Montana game. Sure. There were a lot of Montana fans there, but the dome was close to sold out there. It was rocking for about a play and a half and then it fell apart. Um, it's just the reason for the attendance is because the team sucked so bad for so long. They weren't even fun, bad. They were just bad. Like there's some fun to be had when the team goes out there and loses by 50 every week. It's like, Oh, you know what, what are we going to see? Maybe, uh, Jake Constantine. There we go. Maybe Jake Constantine throws for 200 yards and everybody explodes on social media because he's had such a great game. Those are the kind of things you could look out for when you were a terrible team. But Idaho was just bad and boring bad, and it 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 killed the fan base. And I think they're doing as best as they can in trying to drum up some sort of interest in this when they are hamstrung by the fact that the spring game is not going to be in Moscow. It's not going to be televised. We're gonna have to, you know, we're gonna have to figure some interesting way out to cover it for all the people that listen to this because we're probably not gonna go see it. So it's they're they're in a really tough situation right now, but the the social media outreach is is the first tip of that spear, I think, of trying to get people in. Captain58 makes a really good point. They need to be pushing more season tickets for this new era. Completely agree. I think that's that's going to have to come, and it's probably going to be a, a yearly kind of build thing because I think right now the the problem with selling season tickets is you're, you're now pushing, hey, we went down to the FCS. Oh, yeah, but we suck. Uh, and now you have four years of suck to, or four seasons of suck to look at and say, why should I pay my money to come see this team? And the only thing you can do is try to hype it up on social media before the results actually happen. And once the results happen, I think people will start filling back in. I don't think there's a whole lot more they could do right now. Yeah. I'm going to add, we have some suggestions in the comment thread that I'm going to run through. Uh, We have, Nick Weber saying the other thing they need to get fixed is avoiding home games when Washington State has home games. No hotel rooms within 75 miles kills ticket sales. Uh, amen to that. Because I can tell you, we, my wife and I, last season towards the end of the year, we were looking at honestly getting like an – we wanted to go to homecoming, and we are looking to get an Airbnb. Homecoming wasn't close to a sellout for Idaho, and there was – the closest place you could stay is Lewiston, but relative where, to where we live – which is in Coeur d'Alene. There's no reason to stay in Lewiston. So we just couldn't make it. Um, like you already got to cap Dan suggested pushing season tickets. Uh, second did the pushing season tickets. I will say some, one of the things that I think uh, people are seeing the social media stuff. If you're on spaces like Twitter there, I think they're maximizing that. I don't know what else they can do. 
I can tell you, I went to the signing day event in Coeur d'Alene. And I also saw, we're going to talk about the basketball game against Weber State. All the coaches were introduced at halftime. They're, the coaching staff's being pretty assertive about meeting fans, trying to get people on board, trying to be enthusiastic at the signing day event I went to. Every single coach. It, it seemed like their PR strategy. And of course, we all know to some extent, a uh, signing day event with that d- people are paying a donation to get into. Like, you know, to some extent, the interactions are not 100% authentic, you would say, um, as in like the team probably has a strategy. But their strategy was to be aggressively nice. Their strategy is to make you like them more at this point and to get reasonably excited about Vandal football. So with the in-person stuff they can do, I think they're kicking ass right now. The My bigger reaction was I knew it was low, 4,800 in a 16,000 person place is I knew that I knew that the attendance figures were low from last season. That was deflating. It's just flooring that that's the base we're building up from. I don't want to put a number on what I think we can get to, but I will say as a reference point, if Idaho can average 10,000 people a game, that's going to be a very good environment. If you guys remember homecoming against Idaho state a couple of years ago, that was less than 12,000 people and the dome was rocking. So we, we don't have to, we don't have to be like tops in the league for this to be a huge deal for us, but fingers crossed we can get there. Cause good God, Dallas, we are, we're building from the bottom up. Yeah. I mean, that's like, it is what it is. We're at the point where there's, there's nothing that can be done to change that number without wins that like the, and this is, this is where I'm going to get the weird negativity. You guys know me for, this is the one thing that makes me afraid of this staff. We went from the Coach Aki era, which was we're going to have this loud, gregarious guy as our head coach, and he's going to drive all this fan engagement, but the results on the field aren't going to work out, and he's not going to have the discipline needed to keep the program in the state it needed to be. And then when that fell apart, they hired the exact opposite of Coach Aki in let's hire the most boring guy we can who's going to be a hard ass and fix this problem. It worked out well enough, got a bowl win out of it, and then here we are course correcting with another 180. Now, I'm not saying Coach Eck is going to be Coach Aki. Uh, I, I, the personality is fairly close, and, I, and I, I love Eck's personality. I'm sure he's going to do a better job at the discipline and, and keeping the team focused than, than the things that were said about the end of the Aki era. But that's, that's the one fear I have is are we just going to go back into the same cycle of get excited for a couple of years and then completely fall apart? I don't think that's going to happen, but it is definitely in the back of my mind. Uh, I'm hoping that's not something we're going to even have to think about in about seven months from now after game one being like, Oh yeah, Nope. This is, this is the new era. This is a lot of fun. This guy knows what the hell he's doing. The fan base will, will return. I mean, that's the thing. Winning is going to cure just about everything, except unless you're Eastern and you play in the worst stadium, in the worst town, in the worst location possible. That's or your Sacramento, uh, or your Sacramento state. Or, exactly. Your Sacramento state. And I, that's a whole other thing. They have 30,000 students. Like that, that blows my mind that they can't get even a tenth of that to show up consistently. It's because they're a commuter school. They, they don't have an on campus culture like University of Idaho does. I mean, the average Sac State student is not the average University of Idaho student. 
I'd say we could go into this for a long time. Like Boise Junior College is, is the same thing. Obviously, they're the cream of the crop for the G5, or at least they were for 15 years. So that's a completely different thing to take into account. But that it, it can work at a commuter school. I mean, Eastern is a commuter school as well. And that's part of their problem as well as you have people coming in from Spokane that don't want to go out to Cheney on a Saturday at 2 p.m. when it's 35 degrees with a 20 degree wind chill. Like, so it, it happens. But I, to circle this back to Idaho, they're doing everything they possibly can. Uh, I am more than happy with this new era. I hope that the results on the field are going to match the excitement that we have right now because that's the only way to to build off of this momentum uh, as if at the end of the day they're winning three games a year. This isn't going to mean a whole lot. So listeners will know that I am not known exactly as the sunshine and rainbows guy, which is not, this isn't exactly pushback because what Dallas brought up, like, look, if that happens, that's a thing to be concerned about. My response to that, let's not let Vandal PTSD take us into year three of this not working out before one snap has been played. Um, I don't think Jason Eck, energetically, he's closer to Rob Akey than he is to Paul Petrino, but Look, he has FCS background of only doing well, of only showing expertise. We'll get into managing expectations when we're closer to the season actually starting, because that will be a separate discussion. But at this point, I don't have that long term. As long as I keep in mind, Vandal PTSD can just make you want to think everything's awful and it always will be. So I keep that in mind and know that's not real yet. I'm I'm not concerned that Jason Eck is going to be anything close to Rob Akey. But one, look, we'll have a schedule, we'll have a season preview once we have a roster and we've had, you know, spring game plus actual, you know, training camp heading into the first game at Washington State. We'll talk about that stuff in the future. Just want to bring up it. Vandal PTSD is real. It's not invented. You have reason to have Vandal PTSD. But right now, the prescription for Vandal PTSD, it's Kochek. It's just what the coaching staff's doing right now. They have to get the wins. We'll get there when we can. We're going to do the ad read before we transition to veggies, a.k.a. the basketball update, which is the this is how we flag for half our listenership to bail on the show. But as always, this is brought to us by Hughes River Expedition. If you're looking for a great all-inclusive week-long vacation, don't look past your backyard. Venture into the largest protected wilderness in the continental U.S. located right here in the great state of Idaho. Enjoy a multi-day trip down the Middle Fork of the Salmon, the main Salmon River of No Return, the Salmon River Canyons, or the Selway. You can even check out special trips like the one to see the Perced Meteor Shower, camp on pristine beaches, run amazing whitewater, hike scenic trails, spot wildlife, soak in beautiful natural hot springs, take in the history along the river and fish some of the most remote stretches of river in the country. You just bring your clothes, let HRE handle the rest. Hughes River Expeditions has been vandal-owned and operated since 1976 and ready to take you on a vacation of a lifetime. What are you waiting for? Find out what it's like to grab a paddle, catch dinner, and ride the bull all throughout the gem state. Call them now at 800-262-1882 or check them out at HughesRiver.com. Basketball update. Men's first. Last week, we had we hosted Idaho State and Weber State. Thursday, Idaho State, at the time, last place in conference. Idaho loses 79 to 70. That means a clean sweep on the men's side. Spoiler alert on the women's side too. Idaho State over Idaho. Uh, Mikey Dixon led the way for us with 22 points on 7 to 14 from the field. Trevante Anderson shipped in 19 points, also 7 to 14 from the field. Tanner Christensen added 12 points as well. Uh, 
that's a nice streak of solid games from Tanner Christensen. We'll get to the rest later. Uh, downside, Idaho State shot over 50% of the field, over 40% from three, and Tariq Cool put up around, right about 30. So, hey, tough to win. We followed that up Saturday. Now, Weber State is at the top of the conference heading into Saturday game. Idaho pulls away. We were up 37 to 17 in the first half against Weber. We held on to win 83 to 79. Mikey Dixon paced us with 31 points on 10 of 12 from the field and picked up 10 rebounds. Trevante Anderson has 26 points on 10 of 15 from the field and six assists, which if you did that quick math, Dixon and Anderson combined for 57 points between the two on 20 of 27 shooting from the field. So Dallas, with all that as the background, Instead of what's the story of the game, what's your take after seeing these two versions of Idaho basketball where we get our ass kicked against Idaho State at home and then we beat the best team record-wise in the conference two days later? Uh, my take is the idea of let's not play defense and let's hope that the other team just isn't going to make shots. Occasionally, that does work out. Uh, it's crazy, but it does. If you were looking to get three to five conference wins, there's your way to do it. Uh, if you go back and just look at the raw stats, Idaho state shot over 50% and then over 40% from the three point line. The, some of the most historical seasons in, in basketball history, uh, they talk about guys like Steph Curry shooting 50, 40, 90. That is 50% from the field, 40% from three, 90% from free throw. That is like historically incredible season. Well, as a team, they Idaho State shot over 50 from the field and over 40 from the three-point line. So, of course, they're going to win most games. They they turned the ball over way more than Idaho did, and they still, I mean, it, it was not a particularly close-feeling game. Uh, and then you have the inverse of that. You go and you beat Weber State because Weber State missed their first seven shots on their way to shooting 30% in the first half and then shooting, I think just one of nine from three. So Weber state ended up coming back obviously a little bit in the second half and they cut it to a four point game at the end. And they shot some, something like 62%, uh, maybe stat check from hot take Heemstra. If you can scroll down for me, uh, I'm just pulling that out of my ass. If you scroll up just a little bit, the Weber state percent in the second half. Thank you. I, there we go. 62 and a half percent in the second half. So the, the strategy of, Team defense is what exactly? It will win you games on occasion. And if you catch Weber State on a, a they were on a cold streak, they lost a heartbreaker just a couple nights before. You catch a team on a bad night and you can win like that. It's obviously not sustainable, but here we are talking about losing to a team I thought was going to be worse than Idaho and then beating the team that I thought was going to be the best in the conference. Yeah, I essentially have two reactions to this. The Idaho State game was absolutely a backbreaking loss. Again, mm -hmm. uh, giving up 30 points to Tariq Cool on 19 shots. Uh, Jared Rodriguez, former Vandal, he is now in the starting lineup for Idaho State. They're going perimeter-oriented, which is great because uh, post-oriented, they're like the worst, worst offense I'd ever seen. Uh, Jared Rodriguez, he was hot early, scored 16 points as well. Um, the big takeaway there. Idaho just got down immediately. We were down 16 to four, less than five minutes into the game. And honestly, from that point, I mean, we got with, we obviously got within single digits a couple times, but this team just doesn't defend well enough to get down 16 to four and have a realistic chance of winning the game. It was honestly just like the Southern Utah game previously, 
where Southern Utah gets off to a hot start. The difference is Idaho State sucks. So uh, Southern Utah gets off to a hot start makes sense. They're a strong offensive team. Idaho State is not. The Weber reaction, I'm going to drill down more narrowly than the broad reaction because, look, Idaho is 4-18, and counting this win. We're 4-18 and versus D1 teams. We're 3-11 and in conference. We're just not a good team. The big thing for me was, one, Weber State clearly did not take Idaho seriously, and that's how they – had that 20 point hole, but Idaho was playing damn well offensively. This is, we're not going to play this well offensively. Like, you know, every game of the season by any means, Mikey Dixon and Trevante Anderson, honestly, scoring wise, they were good in both games, but they were very good, very efficient against Weber state. Really. That was why Weber state couldn't come back. They had no answer the entire game for Dixon or Anderson who, put Idaho on their back in the second half uh, and, and carried just carried the day for us. Cause if you look, you look at turnovers, that's the thing we've talked about. And a lot of fans were magnetized to early, which we said last week, Hey, turnovers are creeping up. Weber state turned the ball over five times against us, which you might think in a 37 to 17 hole, it's because they're turning the ball over. No, no, they were just missing shots. That was it. I don't have no KD uh, for them, a good defensive outing. But Weber State was also just missing shots in the first half. They shot 30% from the field, 11% from three. Idaho had 18 turnovers in this game, most of which came in the second half. Idaho tried very hard to lose this game in the second half when Weber started changing up their defensive pressure. But Mikey Dixon and Trevante Anderson, that, that honestly, in terms of Idaho basketball, might be the best, the best outing I've seen two guards have at the same time. And it picked us up a big win. It doesn't change anything about how I understand this team, but it showed us something we've talked about. This isn't a talent-free team. We have some some pieces that would start at just about any team in the league. It's not going to come together like the way we were hoping earlier, but look, it was a good day. It was a fun win. It was an entertaining game. I'll take a few more of those. Absolutely. And if there are any uh, Big Sky co coaches listening to this show trying to scout this Idaho team, uh, just know that when Weber State went to the trap press in the second half, Idaho immediately just started hitting every single three possible. It was it was incredible. So don't ever try that again because Idaho will make you pay. Of course, we add the army of turnovers in the second half, which uh, obviously <laughs> you're not 100% serious. I'm, I'm going to uh, assume that coaches are no, no longer listening. Uh, that was a pretty rough showing there. So uh, it, coaches, if you're listening yeah. now, please stop listening. Yeah. Um, other thing is now this is generalizable for next year. Uh, Trevante is starting to click uh, last few games, Southern Utah against Montana. He was like the only thing that kept us competitive. And these last two games, you know, 19 against Idaho state 26 against Weber. He's hitting. We know his jump. He's never going to be a sharpshooter in terms of being a jump shooter, but he's getting to the rim and that's what matters. He's getting to, he's getting to the rim, getting the free throw line. If he can do that make a jumper or two, that's how he gets to 20-ish points. And if all he has to do is make a jumper or two to get to his 20 points, I mean, that's his path to being in the discussion for all league. He, he shouldn't be in the discussion all league for this season. But heading into next season, we're seeing more games where he's putting his footprint on more of the game. Fingers crossed that that matters. And Tanner Christensen is, he's not quite at double-double level, but he's starting to score right around 8 to 12 points a game. If we can average that throughout an entire season for Christensen, that would put him as one of the more effective posts in the league. Before we shift to the women's team, Dallas, do you have anything you want to add? 
Yeah, just uh, I, I like to reference PER every once in a while. Uh, it's not a perfect stat, and it's very weighted heavily uh, towards the offense. So take it with a bit of a grain of salt because it doesn't quite factor in just how historically terrible this team has been defensively at times. But uh, just in conference, Mikey Dixon, his PER is a 24.3, which in NBA uh, categorization, that would be considered definite all-star. Uh, Jameel King in considerably less minutes, uh, half the minutes Mikey's played. Uh, he's also in that same like borderline all-star range, uh, just right behind where Mikey's kind of at, really at the bottom of that, the, where the tier splits between definite all-star and borderline all-star. And then Tanner Christensen has has shown up as what you would consider like a second or third offensive option. Uh, so the PER numbers are looking a lot better than they were even to start the conference. So it's nice to see that there are a couple guys that are like, their their advanced metrics are actually saying, hey, these guys are pretty doing pretty well. And then some of the guys on the bench, Rashad Smith and Trevante, are, uh, I mean, Trevante's not on the bench and Rashad goes back and forth. But uh, some of those other guys are also like getting numbers up that are like rotation players or guys that guys that could stick on a team. Uh, it, it's it's a lot more encouraging than it was last year where we were talking about not a single guy felt like a big sky player there. There's definitely, definitely big sky talent here. And that's why they can go out and beat teams like Weber state on an off night. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen next year. And I think that's, I think I'm going to leave it at that. Yeah. Last thing I'm going to add is against both Idaho state and Weber state, we gave up defensive ratings of 108 or more than a point per possession, which is, is just going to buttress the point that the, there was not really a change for us defensively. We're just a bad defensive team. We only have four games against D1 teams this entire season of having a defensive rating below 100, which 100 is the Mendoza line for an okay defensive outing. Heck, Zach Kloss referenced 100 as a uh, Mendoza line for us early in the season. We played Cal Poly. We're just not hitting it. Uh, before we shift over to women's basketball, just a quick housekeeping item from the university. We host Idaho hosts Montana on Thursday and Eastern Washington on Saturday. Both those games at ICCU, both those. So both those games, obviously in Moscow, if it's at ICCU, but the big change is the ICCU had suspended concessions for a while due to coronavirus concerns. That concession ban has been lifted. This includes alcoholic beverages, correct? Hot take. Yes, uh, listeners did not see the thumbs up, but yeah, uh, hot take just confirmed. Yep, that includes that includes beer. So essentially back to normal-ish at ICCU. I'm sure they do the mask thing, but honestly, when I was at the last game, they, that mask thing was not enforced whatsoever. So the average fan will feel like that's normal. We're going to shift over to women's basketball, which uh, again, you know, some some heartbreak. Uh, as far as the Idaho State thing, and then some not heartbreak as far as Weber State. Idaho against down in Pocatello. Now, Idaho State is right up there with Montana State women as best in conference. And um, yeah, we Idaho played like they were playing the best team in the conference at Pocatello. Idaho goes down 103 to 68. Uh, Luis Forsyth led, led the way for Idaho with 18 points, four rebounds, and uh, beyond Beyonce B. Put up 17.7 rebound, three blocks. Saturday at Weber State. Now, Weber State is record-wise record right around where Idaho is on the women's side. Idaho comes away with a win, 82-73. Tiana Johnson puts up 16.5 rebounds. Beyonce B 
adds 12.7 rebounds, two blocks. Louise Forsyth, 17 points. She led the way, scoring three rebounds. Martin, you watch both games. What is what's your takeaway? Now, again, this is kind of like the men, Martin, where we're seeing we're seeing both sides of the team split across a couple games. The game split makes more sense on the women's side. But what what's your takeaway from these two games? So uh, what I'm about to say if for anybody listening who might be one to might be more in the know with the team. I'm just going to come on through right now. What I'm about to say about the ISU game is me as a fan, not me, the quote reporter slash person that knows what they're talking about kind of thing. This game, it, it was more, they were never in it. It never felt like Idaho was in it. They, I thought it was going to be, I was hoping for a game kind of similar to what it was when they played a, ISU last, I think I can't remember the exact score. I want to say it was like 84 to 78 or something similar, something comparable to that. 60 to 56. It was, I thought it was going to be something like that. You know, they play them well and they'd still lose, but this game was fucking ugly from the get go. It was never felt close. They had nothing, nothing went their way. They never felt like they were in it. And when they did make comebacks, it'd be like to eight points. Then ISU would come back ahead to 18 points. And then eventually it, the wheels fell off the second half. And it just looked like the team kind of quit, which sucks to say, but it truly felt like they kind of gave up even trying in this game at all. Saturday, it was more, it was better. They had their, sorry, I'm kind of jumping around. They, They had their, they had their, it was a more complete game. They 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 were up by I think it was five, five at the half five at half, and then things kind of had their little wobble slash shake shake the boat. Third quarter where Weber State kind of pulls ahead a little bit, and then they came. They managed to pull. They managed to show me at least in this one that they can come back from those moments where they go down like five, six and come back ahead because they had a red hot fourth quarter. I think it was 29, 29, 19. They were able to come back and sh- they were able to, sorry, they were able to able to get out of that funk and come back and beat a team in Weber State that they should have beaten by more. But hey, I'll take a win when they can at this point. It is a little, it was a little shaky, but they at least showed they can still beat the 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 teams they should have. This might be a conference tournament preview as well, because at this point, uh, Weber State, if the tournament started the day that Idaho played Weber State, that Weber State would be our first round matchup in Boise. We'll fact check ourselves on that later, but um, Idaho's probably not going to creep into the top top four to get that first round by. So we're playing for seeding. We're playing for who we get to play in the first round. If Idaho plays a team like Weber State, I mean, look, we just saw saw a version of control in the game. Martin, any again, does this these two games does this change your understanding of the team or like how does how does this make you feel? Because Big Sky Conference tournament not that far around the corner. It. It it's kind of hard to say. I still think it's kind of a you don't know what you're gonna get with this team night in and night out. Cause they could 
they could win. Like I said, I think I said last week, they could win the tournament or they could, they could lose in the first round. It truly doesn't. It's hard to say. We're going to, we'll co-sign you there, Martin. Uh, right now on the women's side, Idaho is, sits at five and seven in league. That puts them in seventh place. They're not, so seventh place, it's not preposterous for Idaho to theoretically creep in to that top four. However, it would be pretty dang tough. Sacramento State right now is at fourth. They're nine and five. So we have, uh, it, it, it'd be a bit of a climb. If the tournament started today, actually, I believe Idaho would be playing Eastern based off how the bracket bracket runs. Eastern four and ten in conference, Idaho five and seven. We'll fact check ourselves on that later. But um, honestly, Martin, yeah, you've had a pretty up and down season on mm-hmm. the women's side. They're still look. They're still kind of holding okay relative yeah. to rebuilding, relative to losing. You know, some of the some of the players, a lot of the key contributors from last year's team. Yeah, it is still. Yeah. still it, if I would have known like hey these people are not gonna be back before the season started i would have said yeah this is probably what i would have expected but i didn't and it's still it's it still is it's going they're starting to write the ship a little bit with the teams that they should be playing that teams that they should be beating now and i'm gonna jump back to the men's real quick because we've we've done the temperature check a few times i've talked to dallas about like hey how do you understand where coach Klaus is? We Idaho sits already brought up the record, but bring it say it again four and 18 against D1 teams, six and 18 overall, three and 11 in conference. We have six conference games to get to that magic number. We were told class has to get to uh, of around 12 wins. Idaho has to win out. Uh, Dallas, just based on paper, scanning through the schedule, hot take. How many wins do you see in the next six games? I'm not going to talk about the Big Sky Conference tournament because we don't know who we're playing yet. So just for any of our listeners that aren't intimately aware of the, of the schedule, uh, obviously this week, Montana and Eastern Washington at home. Then they go on the road at Sacramento State and at UNC. Then back home, Portland State and NAU to finish out the year. Um, I got to be honest, I'd be shocked if they won two of those six games. I, I'm with you. I see winnable games. I don't think Montana's winnable. Eastern in theory, but Eastern's been playing better, and Eastern can score, and we can't defend. Uh, Sacramento State should be winnable. Uh, Northern Colorado, they're really up and down, so they're theoretically uh, winnable, but it's at Greeley, and I, I just don't I don't think we're going to pull that one off. Mm-hmm. Portland State, we host Portland State. We beat Portland State at Portland earlier, so I pencil that in as a theoretical win. And then Northern Arizona in Moscow. Those are three winnable games, but we – we already talked about we lost at home to Idaho State in a theoretically winnable game. I'd say looking at our next six games on paper, I'd say three and three is the ceiling, which would put us at six, uh, six wins and 14 losses in conference. Obviously not enough, but we're, we're, we're just trying to not belabor the point. We, we're, we're pretty dang sure that we're at this point playing out the string. Before we, before we close it off, Dallas, Anything you want to add? Because I just we brought men's basketball back. Uh, just go Rams. I just I, I I don't care about the men's basketball team. I'm just trying to soak in the moment and trying to realize 
the Rams won the Super Bowl. A nine-year-old Dallas can finally pull himself off of his parents' couch and stop crying about how Tom Brady and Vinatieri destroyed the greatest show on turf. That's what I care about. Vandal basketball is dead to me. Not really. I'm kidding. Uh, I am actually going to try to go to a game. Uh, I, I, the Thursday thing does not work out well for me. Uh, it's a two-hour drive from where I'm at in Spokane, so Thursdays are out. Uh, so that leaves this weekend against Eastern Washington and then the, the final game against NAU. I think I'm going to try to make it to the NAU game. Uh, I will be sure to let anybody in uh, the Patreon. Again, patreon.com backslash tubs at the club. Uh, hashtag only tubs. Uh, I will be letting all of you guys know if I'm going to make a trip down to Moscow. So uh, the few of you that do uh, frequent Moscow, we can try to uh, hang out, get some beers at the game. Um, but yeah, that's, I mean, looking forward to experiencing the new arena. I've obviously, obviously been into it. I've never seen a game there yet. I'm looking to, to get that done before before the season's over. But at this point, like you said, we're, we're just riding out the string here. We're going to send it to Colby Acuff to play us out. But before we get there, and to buy producer hot take a couple seconds, get that video loaded. Thanks for listening. Go Vandals. Go Vandals. So raise your glass and have a drink with me. Here's to the Vandals and the craft. I'll just out there live in the drink. Part of one and only Moscow drinking team.